We just wanted to maybe bring you up to speed with what's happening. You might, um, as you look around, see some some changes that are taking place slowly but surely. We've uh, been doing some expansion next door. We bought a nice coffee area and there's a, uh, a nice um, cement slab where the children next door can gather, scholars next door can gather during the week and we can gather on Sundays. Isn't that great that we can share the facilities in such a way that the kingdom of God is able to expand and, uh, and do it together as we, as we do that. I just want to say thank you so much for persevering and pushing in. We're really hoping that in the, in the um, near future we'll be able to expand. We want to try and get 50 seats more in that side, so we're going to be um, taking some of those tables out there and putting some seats in that side. And we're going to try and push the numbers to 250 here. We don't want to push it so that it becomes uncomfortable. But we really want to be able to expand here so that we're not forced at a drop of a hat to go and find another building. We're tr really trusting God for a venue for, for us in the, in the city, but we're trusting Him for that. We're not going to go out and just throw money at something and find ourselves in a pickle down the road. So we're going to really trust God that he's going to provide us with a place that will be, there again, of mutual benefit to whoever of us can occupy the building. Uh, so we want to ask you to hang in there, but we also want to ask you to pray with us, please, that the Lord will help to show us a way and uh, that we can, first of all, use this building to its capacity. I just thank the Lord that this building belongs to FTC and that we can use it. As a, as a church. FTC is part of the church, so that we can use it as, as one. Uh, so uh, it's really a win-win situation. Are you a pioneer or a revolutionary? You're a pioneer or a revolutionary. Jesus, when he went into the temple courts, he saw stuff happening that he wasn't too happy about. So he, Bible says he fashioned himself a whip. <laughs> fashioned himself a whip. He didn't go to them politely and say, you know, gentlemen, you shouldn't be doing this here. That's a pioneer. A pioneer will look at the resources that they've got and they'll put them together to see the better coming out of it. So it's good to be a pioneer. But Jesus was a revolutionary at heart. He took a whip and he beat them out of there with a whip. Can you imagine? This is Jesus. The gentle Jesus, meek and mild, Look upon this little child. That's how we get to know him at Christmas time, isn't it? And then we find out a little bit down the road that he is actually Lord. And that he is actually king. And that he says something, he says, we, I want you to obey, we need to obey him. Because he's Lord. He's not just a little baby that we can kind of handle and manage. He's actually Lord. And so Jesus is a revolutionary at heart. I believe in many ways he was a pioneer in the way that he worked with the people. Jesus was gentle with the people. He wasn't severe on people. He drew people to him. He drew people to the Father. He lavished love on those that needed love and were in despair. But when it came, when it was necessary to state his case in a broken world, he was a revolutionary. And he stated his case very clearly so that there was no mistake for us down the road as to how we fit into the picture. One thing that is extremely important for us to understand, though, is that we can be a revolutionary for revolutionary's sake, 
and there's maybe a lot written about and spoken about in news media about political revolutionaries, and we know that they're offensive in just, I mean, you look at them and they offend you. They offend somebody because they want to be offensive. We're not talking about that. We're talking about looking at a culture and saying to that culture, we cannot reconcile with you, that culture, which is a godless culture, which is a demonic culture. We say we cannot reconcile with you, so we cannot we cannot go along with you as far as that is concerned. So there's many things that when we look at the culture that we're living in, that we need to say to ourselves, we cannot reconcile, we need to separate. The disciples were so sure about doing that, that of the 12, 11 of them went to the grave believing that. They were executed for believing that. They were thrown into prison, thrown into jail, torn in two. For believing that to the end that they couldn't reconcile themselves with the order of the day and the order of the day said either you reconcile or die and they said well then we die but we cannot reconcile that's a revolutionary at heart that thinks like that but we cannot there's no middle road for me to steer but we need to remind ourselves constantly when we did the and we doing the one another's um still and i hope it's an ongoing thing that it's constantly God wants us to love one another too. The pioneering comes when we can go the extra mile. The patience, the endurance, the love that we can, the exhortation that we can do to encourage one another to serve him. Then we're functioning as pioneers amongst ourselves. Is that, is that clear? I don't want it to be confusing. And so that we can exhort one another to make a way in a, in a hostile world. Something we need to be very careful about as we do that, though, is that we need to make sure that we, our ears are tuned to the Lord's voice. Otherwise, we become obstropolous just for being obstropolous. There's a danger in doing that. That we become upstream just for the sake of being upstream. And I, re I don't want to ever hear us doing that just for the sake of doing that. In, uh, in, in some parts of America, I did a bit of a preaching tour in America many years ago. They said to me, if you don't use the King James Version, yeah, they'll get up and walk out when you open your Bible. So you've got to use the King James. You've just got no option as a preacher because you've got no audience if you don't use the King James. Now, I can't use the King James because of the language. I mean, it's archaic language. And it's, and I mean, I've been using the NIV just about my whole life. I'm not saying it's the best translation, but it's the one I know. That's being obstropolous for the sake of being obstropolous. It's being upstream for the sake of, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a culture, there's a worldly culture around us that is pushing us to such an extent that we need to clearly be able to discern God's voice. Clearly be able to discern what he is saying to us in this culture in which we find ourselves. And so it's so important for us to be able to hear what the Lord is, 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 uh, is saying to us. It's not about how much I can, how much more I can do, but it's how much more I can be. I don't know if that helps. I want to, so that we can be more like him, not do stuff that is offensive or, or arrogant or in your face. It's, it's not that. That's how we understand maybe a political revolutionary. But it's, it's, it's that we can be more Christ-like. People were so angry with Jesus because he turned the other cheek. Because he loved the enemy. 
because he reached out to those who, and associated with Gentiles, and he wasn't supposed to, that he ate with sinners. And that's why he became so offensive to the community in which he was living. And it's so important that we, that we are like him. And so I realized as I was doing this, I did a, a little bit of research this last week, reading about the, all the voices we hear. One of the things we need to do is to be able to discern the voices. Wouldn't you agree? And it's so important that we know the voice of our Lord and Master. So important that our voice is tuned to the right voice and not just the loudest voice. And I, I discovered that every one of us, apparently, research done by the Cornell University has, has estimated that every, every one of us makes something like 35,000 decisions a day. I mean, I said, no, no ways. I mean, that's impossible. They said, no, no, th this is all even the subconscious decisions. Shall I get up? I'll get up. Shall I turn left? I'll turn left. Those are all subconscious decisions that are, that are coursing through our mind constantly. It's all these decisions that we're making just when we walk, when we walk left or right, uh, when we stop and talk or whatever it might be. It'd be a whole lot of subconscious decisions. But there's between 60 and 80 conscious decisions that we make that alters the way that we live our day. I mean, that's massive if you think of it. Between 60 and 80 decisions. What's more, they say just around food, we make something like 227 decisions a day. <laughs> just around food. 227 decisions a day as to how we... And so we, we live in this world where there's voices constantly, constantly coming at us from all directions. They email, social media, text messages, Facebook, Twitter, blogs, online news sources, even the old-fashioned telephone. I asked a phone one this last week. I said, no, 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 surely not. <laughs> and it's an old-fashioned telephone. They st maybe they still exist. And sometimes there's even handwritten notes that come at us every day. There's marketers, politicians, community groups, fundraisers, newspapers, magazines, television programs, entertainers, and preachers that are constantly making an appeal for something from us in one way or another. They're trying to convince us. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. My message is the better one that, that you need to listen to. Buy what I'm selling. Vote for me at the next election. Uh, sign up for this. Do this and you'll save. Uh, kind of subtle support. Support my cause. Try this. You won't regret it. You deserve to be happy. And so these voices are constantly, as you're sitting there today, you might think, oh, well, I, I can handle the five or six decisions or choices I must make today. But crowding in on that is the voice of Jesus. Because you don't realize that there's 35,000 choices, voices coming through our, our mind about the choices we need to make. There's so many different appeals from different organizations. And we're kind of sitting in the middle of that, trying. And then we say, we open up the Bible and Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Do we? You know what I'm saying? Where, where's your voice, Jesus? I mean, I've heard the politician's voice and I've heard that voice and I've heard this voice. So it's so important that we are able in all this noise 
to discern the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I want to speak a bit about that this morning. If we're going to be legitimate revolutionaries that represent Jesus well in the culture we live in, we're going to have to hear his voice clearly and obey his voice. I had a bit of a medical submergency, can I call it that, this last week. On, um, on Monday morning, I woke up with a bit of a pain in my belly, and that was a big pain. Um, and <laughs> I woke up with a bit of a pain, and it's got worse during the day. And uh, eventually, I was, I was speaking to someone in a shop, and it felt like someone just twisted my, my, my gut, and I, <coughs> I went like it, and they looked at me <laughs> as if I was okay. But it was just like a reaction to that. But I've got these, these like, twists in my... In my, so I went to bed Monday night, and it, it woke me up during the night, and I woke up just lying there every now and again, <coughs> cringing with pain. And for over 40 years ago, about 40 years ago, I think, we, we came to George, and there was a lady and her husband who were at the church. We were at a small charismatic church at that stage, members of the church, and they had a prayer time. After the service, they said, anybody want to come up for prayer? And I was a, I was a hog for prayer. Someone was praying, I'd want to be there. And so I was standing in the front, and, and David and Ziggy Oblander, you might have heard of them. They were the ones who came to this meeting. They were the, the ones who were leading the meeting. And I went up, and it was David who was praying for me. But he wasn't the charismatic one. Ziggy was the one who was lively and... and but, but that was fine. I just said, Lord, speak through David. And I went and I, I was, he was praying for me. And Ziggy was standing about three meters from me with a group of people that she was praying for. Something like we would do on a Sunday morning with a group of people that she was praying for. And in a loud voice. Now, she, she's German. And she's got a loud voice. Very clear, loud voice. She came over. to. She left the people she was praying for there. And she came over and she stood here in my ear. David was praying here, praying here and she stood here. I mean, it was, there was no way that I could ignore or not hear this voice that was booming in my ear. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It must have been 20 times that she said that. After that, she turns around and goes and prays for the people she was praying for. And I look, what's that all about? Have you ever had that? What, what's that all about? And so what I did was I said, Lord, I don't fully understand. I understand that it's a scripture in Isaiah 10 verse 27. And maybe she's, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know what it's about. So I put it on the shelf. Monday night. 40 years later, I'm lying there in my bed with this pain in my stomach. And every now and again, this pain kind of bites me. Pain in my stomach. Now, I want to get up. I don't want to disturb Joel. This is about 2 o'clock in the morning. don't want to disturb her. And I, and I put my hand on her. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice coming loud. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing. That breaks the yoke. And as I submitted to the voice, it got louder and louder and louder. And after a while, I was so excited about it. I felt like getting up and dancing. Monday, Tuesday morning, I woke up and the, the, the pain was broken. 
I'm not saying I was 100% healed by Tuesday morning, but the pain was broken. And right throughout the day, whenever anything happened, whenever I heard any bad news, whenever I heard anything that I needed to pray for, I reminded myself that it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's the anointing of the cross of Jesus Christ that breaks the yoke over. The yoke is a thing that keeps us in, in prison. It keeps us in bondage. It's a thing that you, you put a, an, an ox into when you wanted to pull something along. And I reminded myself that it's, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, God says. And it's the anointing of realizing what He's done on the cross for me that I can submit myself un, under and, and confess it over my body and over my situation. And so I was so excited when I woke up on Tuesday shared this with Jill, shared it with her on Wednesday again, I shared it with her on Thursdays. I am so excited. I feel that God has given me fresh wings for my lungs, my prayer, my spirit lungs, to be able to fight the battle that he's called me into fighting. And so it gave me huge, huge, huge excitement. And it's been a, been a wonderful week. Discovery insists that I go and see the doctor for my, for once or twice a year. So I went to see the doctor, and it was a, I had a fast beforehand. They drew some blood. I mean, she said to the sister, hey, just leave a little bit behind you. I want to walk out here, please. But they, they, took, they took some blood and came back to the doctor on Thursday. He had a look through. He says, David, everything is 100% normal. There's nothing that's even, even a little bit out in my blood. Sugar's normal. Cholesterol's normal. Everything is 100% normal. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. You know what I'm saying? When the revelation comes, when the revelation of who God is comes and we can grab hold of it, He starts to change us from the inside out. You see, that's when we become, and we, we're happy to become revolutionaries. Certainly we should be, when we know that He's fighting the battle for me, that it's His anointing through me, that is doing the battle. And so we say to ourselves that, Lord, I want to hear your voice so clearly that when we go into these battles that we go into, when we become these revolutionaries for you, I want to go in knowing that the battle is yours, number one, and that it's won. That it's your battle and it's already been won. Sometimes we expect God's voice to be this booming, clear voice like I heard Ziggy Oblander's at 2 o'clock in the morning. But it's not always like that. In fact, we've hugely got to seek him out, follow him, persevere with him. And this experience in 1 Kings of, of Elijah helps us to understand that he had this experience with God where where um, he had this, the whole thing of Eli, um, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and he felt intimidated by him, so he fled from Ahab and Jezebel, and he finds himself in fear and trembling, hiding somewhere. Does that sound familiar? When you look around our community and we hear all the negative stuff that's happening around us, there he finds himself in a heap, moaning about the misery that has befallen him, because they threatened him, they threatened his life moaning about the misery that had befallen him. 
And as he's hiding away, God sends this huge wind. And here's this wind. He goes outside. I think he was in a cave by then. He goes outside and he can't find God. Then the rocks start shaking. There was an earthquake, goes outside. There's no God. Then there's a fire, goes outside, and he cannot discern God's voice. And then he hears a still, small voice of God. He goes outside. He says, and after the fire, there was a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out, stood, and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, the voice of God came to him and said, it's important that we can discern and not at the first sign of something miraculous happening, claim it to be God. I think we all struggle to hear God's voice in some form or another, some time or another, when we all want to hear his voice louder and louder. And I'm hoping what I'm going to share this morning will help us to discern his voice clearer and clearer. First of all, we need to position ourselves to hear God's voice. If we don't position ourselves, we're not going to hear his voice. By positioning ourselves is that we need to withdraw from the urgency of life. If in the clutter of life, with all of these voices coming to us, we expect to hear God's voice, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to hear the voice of our... I mean, I was sitting at a restaurant a while ago, and there was a husband and a wife... And they were there for the duration of the time that we were there. And I don't think they were off their cell phones once during that time. They were, I don't know if they were talking to each other or talking to someone else. Or, but the, they were on their cell phones constantly. <coughs> if we don't position ourselves, if we haven't got a discipline with the voices that are coming towards us, if we haven't got a discipline with our electronic media, we're never going to hear his voice. If we haven't got a discipline that at some time during the day we can climb into our car or my stepdad used to pray every day and I'd go into the garage and Yari's sitting in the motor car and he'd pray there for hours because that was his quiet private spot. General of prayer. We have to. We have to position. Make sure that we are positioned ourselves for prayer. Jesus lived in a society that wasn't nearly as busy as ours. And yet, he withdrew to a quiet place to go and pray. He left the crowds behind and went in, in, in uh, Luke 5, 16, he says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to go and pray. In other words, places where there weren't people. Places where there weren't a lot of other voices because he wanted to hear daddy's voice. Wanted to hear, and, and this is Jesus. This is Jesus that wants to hear the voice of his father. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by the boat privately to a solitary place. Privately, got in the boat, and went privately to a solitary place because he wanted to meet. Unfortunately, the crowds found him out in that instance. We have to position ourselves to hear God's voice. Without it, it's not going to happen. If we want to hear it above the clutter, we will only hear it above the clutter if our time with him outside of the clutter has been significant. We will only hear him 
as we go to the temple courts to pray and we see a bl blind man on the way and hear the voice of God and hear the other voices speaking. You know what I'm saying? We will only hear him when the clutter of the world we're able to, to die down and focus on his voice that comes a still, small, quiet voice speaks to us with authority. It's important that we do that. And then we need to look and hear. We need to look and hear. Jeremiah 5.19 says, sorry, maybe I can just backtrack a little bit. You and I possess an amazing gift that God has given us above the animals. He's given you and me an imagination that is equipped with a color TV screen. It's, it's a color screen that we've got in, the inner, in our mind. Animals haven't got that. Animals re respond in, in short bursts of time. God's given us this screen where he can interject thoughts for us. We can interject thoughts for us. And we can either meditate with the screen of this imagination that is given us, this powerful gift is given us. We can either meditate on it and produce life, or we can meditate on it and produce death. It can either be a wonderful picture that God has given us about something that, that like, uh, I think it was um, the, the whole story of relativity is Einstein, I think. He got the formula of rel relativity in a dream when he was speaking to God. Many, many, many such instances as we meditate, as we, um, I like to put it this way, our imagination is a place where we percolate great exploits. It's a place where we percolate, where, they, where, we, where we take them into the screen. We, they, 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 in, they come onto the screen as a thought, as a picture. This is why porn is so destructive. This is why porn is so destructive. It's because what it does is it pollutes the screen and it puts images in our heart that we cannot, we haven't got a, a delete button, and sadly, that we can just delete all of these thoughts that go back. We see something, start to meditate on it, and when we look again, we're living in the situation and many people go into the act purely because of what has been percolating in their minds. Well, God's given us that for a very good reason. He wants us to do great exploits for him. He wants us to imagine what life is like with the, the, without the constraints of the world around us. And so he gives us this powerful ima imagination. In, in Psalm 119 verse 23, he says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statues are my delight. They are my counsel. Your servants will meditate on your decrees. Now, he's sitting in a situation where he's hearing all these stories about how people are plotting against him. So what, what's the choice he's got? Is he going to meditate on that? Oh, me, oh, my. How miserable am I? Or is he, he going to take God's promises 
and his decrees and meditate on them. Well, the one will only lead to destruction and it won't change your circumstances at all. But down the road, you might just capitulate and give in to the enemy. The other, you've got a chance of getting out of it because it's God that's populating your thoughts, your mind, and your imagination. The Lord speaks to, and, and the, the Old Testament is full of it because the accounts of the um, prophets in the Old Testament are so full of how they, how they prophesied and so on. But I've chosen a few here, and I'm hoping it will help us. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, this is Jeremiah 1 verse 18. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see? Now, Jeremiah is prophesying. He's writing his book, and he's prophesying over the nation. And the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord, God speaking to you, God says, what do you see? You see what I'm saying? Something's already happened. Something has already happened. God looks at Dave Hooper in the morning as I get up and he says, Dave, what do you see? What do you see? Well, I don't know, Jesus. I've just woken up. I see my cup of coffee. Well, that's, that's what I'll have. You know what I'm saying? Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. He says, he says back to God, he says, God, I, at this moment, on the screen that you've given me in my mind, I see the branch of an almond tree, I reply. The Lord says to him, Jeremiah, you've seen correctly. For I am watching to see my word being fulfilled. Just for a moment, let's look at that exchange. God's got a picture in heaven of what he wants his prophet to prophesy, to see, to declare over the, over the nation. And so he, in the, Jeremiah, what do you see? So maybe, I mean, he could have said, I see, I see a fig. No, 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 that's not quite what I'm, just have a look again. He didn't have to say that because God was used to communicating with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what are you seeing? I see this branch of an almond tree. Yes, Jeremiah, you've got it. That's what I'm trying to show you. And then he starts to unlock this whole world for the nation out of the branch of an almond tree. And the prophecy flows out of a simple little picture if you want to call it that, when I say simple, not as stupid, I mean simple because it's not complicated, picture that God impregnates his mind with. And so he takes hold of that picture and he starts to percolate it for God. He starts to declare God's will, God's way, God's decree over the almond tree branch that he sees. And out of that starts to flow the wisdom of God. Do you see what I'm saying? Then he says to him a little bit later, then the Lord asked me again, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad, they can't be eaten. Amazing pictures. Out of that prophecy in Jeremiah 24, God unlocks the, uh, the keys for the, for the nation for the next period that they're going to go into. I want to live there. I don't know about you, but I want to live there. I, want, I don't want to live out of my own imagination. 
I don't want to live out of wishful thinking. I don't just want to live out of a rote, uh, what I say, logical understanding of what God's kingdom is about. I want to live from a daily, moment by moment, hearing his voice. I want Ziggy to be able to shout to me from the past. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And for those words to start troubling me to the extent that I say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Yeah. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. At this very moment when I need it most, you come and you shout out something that I've forgotten about for 40 years. It's no accident. It's no accident. God's aligned to see his kingdom come. God is aligned to see us penetrating this, this um, culture in which we're living in as revolutionaries to see his kingdom come. We can only do it. We're going we're gonna to burn ourselves for nothing if we don't do it in his power and in his strength. Amos chapter 7 verse 8. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? Amos said a plumb line. Should all of us know this portion of scripture. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. A plumb line is the thing used for building to make sure the building is straight. A little bit later, he says to Amos, Amos, what do you see? He asks Amos again. He asked a basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his presence now like never before. We're entering into a time, a dangerous time for us. We're entering into a dangerous time for the church already they're talking about a post-Christian era in the whole of Europe, just about. The Christianity is dying. Already many of those cathedrals have been turned to mosques and shops and stuff. Let's not pretend ourselves that it's not going to happen here if we are not alert, if we don't hear his voice clearly. I want to pray that every single one of us, as we go about our daily lives, that you won't ignore that prompting of the Lord when he gives you something on the inner screen of your mind. As we're, as we're driving in our motor car, or we're walking down the street, or we're talking to somebody, something just, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, there's something. Don't dispel it. Don't chase it away. Say, Come, Lord, show us. Show us, Lord. Show me what it is, Father. And as we pray in the Spirit, God starts to open up things to us that maybe tomorrow we don't even realize that it was that that happened yesterday that God's showing me today. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it exciting? It's such an exciting life. I thought you'd be dancing in the aisle. You know? I mean, it is such an exciting life. I would much rather have this than just the mundane. Day by day, same old, same old. Just going through life, getting older and older. Not many prospects with that, eh, but <laughs> let's get let's get old 
with excitement for Jesus. Let's do the exploits, although we're 80. Let's do the exploits, although we're five. Let's teach our kids to hear God's voice. And let's do those exploits for God. Let's allow him to speak in us and through us to see our nation changed. And it's only then that we can see it happen. We can't happen just by putting a cross above a building. We can't happen just by putting a cross on our, on our letterhead for our business. We can't. It doesn't happen like that. It happens when Christ comes and looks through us. And he starts making a way through us in a troubled world. And Father, I want to thank you that you speak to us so clearly. I want to pray for every one of us here this morning, Lord, that you would help us to discern your voice in a busy world. That you would help us to quieten those voices, Father, that come rushing in on us. Help us to receive those still, quiet moments with you and meditate on them and take them to you, Father, and ask you to, to teach us your will and your way through them in Jesus' name. Save us from religion, Father. Save us from dead routine, we pray in Jesus' name. And help us, Father, to live for you in such a way that we truly believe that you could use us as revolutionaries in this time, in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord, that we can also bring our friends to you. Maybe you can just hold your hands up. This is um, names of our friends who are sick, who don't know the Lord. And we just want to draw them all to you, Father, in Jesus' name. We want to thank you for those that have already committed their lives to you. And thank you, Father, for healing. And thank you for the testimonies that will, are flowing out of this bowl. This one's also starting to fill up, which is the praise bowl. Thank you, Father, for your hand upon them. In Jesus' name. It's the anointing yes, that breaks amen. the yoke. It's your anointing that breaks the yoke. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's go and have some coffee.